up everybody hockey mountain high here Arif and jj post game podcast for you of course eight six final against the edmonton oilers in game one lots to talk about still trying to catch our breaths here after how crazy of a game that was i mean 14 goals i know we expected a high scoring affair but 14 uh, i guess did that even exceed your expectations Arif? a uh, little bit i mean i don't think we were Look, man, like a high-scoring game in the NHL is 5-3, especially in the playoffs. This year, a high-scoring game in the NHL is what we just saw right now. It's the fact that the Edmonton Oilers, the last time they lost a game was game one against the Calgary Flames, and that one was 9-6. So uh, it was both, and this is the lead to my story tonight, it was both everything we thought it was going to be, but also a shocking turn of events at the very same time. Yeah, I mean, let's get into maybe the most shocking turn of events, and that's Darcy Kemper leaving the game with what's... We're, what we're being told is an upper body injury, I guess, obviously not a good sign, right? Darcy Kemper going down, but at the same time, he wasn't exactly playing stellar tonight. So part of me was when he first got pulled, was like, all right, is this precautionary? Is this maybe, all right, we've got Edmonton in the bag. Let's give Francis a try. But then I was like, no, this game is far from being over. There's something going on here with Kemper, and clearly there was. Yeah, he was... He was shaky, obviously. He had that goal to Ryan McLeod where he just gave up a rebound, and just an ugly rebound right in the crease. He um, he just didn't have it. Something was off, and I don't know what it was, but I think the most fascinating part about his injury was when I asked Pavel about, you know, coming in very suddenly, and he pretty much confirmed that he was given a couple of shifts by the trainer and pretty much notified to get stretched and get ready to go because you're coming in. So by all indications, it sounds like Darcy Kemper had a chat with Jared Bednar at some point or with the trainers and basically notified them and gave him an indication that he needs to come out of the game. There's something wrong. Whatever that is, we don't know. They're not going to say. Jared is obviously being very hush-hush with the we'll see in regards to how long Kemper is going to be out. Um, but something was clearly wrong that Kemper needed to get pulled from the Western Conference final game. And, Dar- and uh, Pavel had a little bit of time to get ready to come in. Yeah, I think if you look at Darcy Kemper's, exactly what you said, right? He had some time. He gave Pavel Francouz. He maybe even alerted Jared Bednar that something was up. And they either tried to, he, he tried to shake it off, right? And say, let me tough this out and give it a couple more shifts and see how I do. And wasn't able to keep going. Or he said, hey, get Pavel Francouz ready. I got to come out in a couple more shifts here. But either way, I think you can kind of rest the, your head on the fact that it wasn't too, too serious considering he tried to tough it out a little bit longer there. I don't know about too, too serious, and I don't know if this is, you know, any indication that he'll be back anytime soon. I don't want to say either way. Um, but I think what this does do is it kind of washes away the option of it being potentially a concussion-related injury, which, again, is just speculation. Like, there's nothing that any of us saw that indicates what kind of injury, but a concussion is the one thing you can't tough it out. You mm-hmm. have concussion symptoms, you leave right away. So maybe his elbow was hurting. Maybe he had some shoulder issues. Maybe it was, well, couldn't be his groin. It was an upper body. But uh, something was going on that just was affecting and impeding his ability to play hockey at the, at the level that he wanted to play. But he was able to tough it out for a couple of shifts. And I think that that kind of, like you said, it says not super serious, but also it could be serious enough to keep him out because it was serious enough to pull him from a game. Yeah, I just think it, it could be something that, you know, perhaps he heals from and, you know, it may, may not be the next game we see him again, but I think there could be a good chance we see him at some point in the series. But with that, let's get into Pavel Francouz's game. How do you think he played? I think he came into the game, he looked pretty sharp, saved the first couple shots and, you know, looked his normal snappy 
quick to adjust to the puck, quick to get into the position self. He did. He looked great, and I think it was, uh, like he said, I didn't really have much time to get warmed up. I was warm right away, and that's because he faced 12 shots in 12 minutes. Uh, the Edmonton Oilers didn't really give him a chance. It was almost as if the Oilers came in and said, or the, the Oilers kind of got together and said, their backup goalie's in the game. We got their starter. Well, we didn't get their starter, but their starter has left their game. The backup is now in the game. Let's pepper him. And they peppered him for 12 shots and only one of them beat him. So he got into the game pretty quick. He was engaged pretty quick. And I, I can't stress enough how important it is to go through what, you know, to kind of understand what he said after the game when he spoke to media in terms of saying that he's always ready to come in and he's always preparing as if he's going to play. It sounds like a fluff quote, but it genuinely is something that as a goalie you need to do. And I'm not the goalie guru here. That's you. But it's genuinely something you have to do to be able to come in in the third round of the playoffs, just like he did in the first round against Nashville. Enter a game halfway through, lock it down, and win the thing, even though Edmonton started to press in the third period. It takes a lot of work to get to that point, and it was something that he was able to do successfully once again. Yeah, I mean, I, I've told this story. I'm not sure if it was on the hockey show or on this podcast, but one time I was in net as a backup and didn't think I was going to get in the game. I didn't prepare like I was supposed to, like Pavel Francouz, and I ate too many cookies, and I came Yikes. in and, and uh, let in four goals. But, yeah, moving on, Pavel Francouz, I think <laughs> – uh, he was he was good. I, I liked his style of game, and I liked um, what he brought to the table, and I'm confident with him moving forward. But I do not envy him whatsoever, right, considering how many goals were being scored in front of him and to say, all right, now it's your turn to get thrown into the fire. I, I wish I could remember what the score was when he came in. I mean, so many goals, it's, it's hard to really remember. But, um, you know, he, he probably wasn't too super pumped to be like, all right, here I come in the middle of this game. Meanwhile... Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, and Evander Kane are doing big things already. I think it was six to three, seven to three, six three, something around there when he came in. I want to say six three. Um, so but, three goals from each goalie tonight. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it looks like. Well, yeah, that's exactly correct. Uh, Francouz led in three on twenty one, and Kemper led in three on twelve. Uh, Kemper played almost half the game, so in thirty two minutes, Francouz faced twenty one shots. So he faced quite a bit there. Uh, and some golden opportunities. The Avalanche kind of had a lot of breakdowns there in the defensive end. They gave the Oilers a lot of chances, and that was with Frankie and Nett. I mean, everything that I was watching in the third period smelled and felt a lot like that fishy game five when the Avalanche just couldn't lock it down, and they were able to finally lock it down, and they needed to. So, um, And it was also poetic, by the way, that Gabe Landscott got the empty and enter. So he passed up the opportunity to shoot at last game. This, uh, this time he said, no, no, I'm just going to bury it and call it, you know, call game. So uh, given the fact that he came in when he came in and the Oilers picked up or did what they did when he came in, it was, you know, all things considered, a good performance from Frankie. Yeah, yeah, I'll take it. And again, I, I feel comfortable with him moving forward. I'm perfectly fine if he's in net for game two, right? Um, let's look at the lineups, right? I think that was a conversation you and I definitely had yesterday is what, what's Jared Bednar going to throw out there? He threw a couple different changes, both pretty much from one, two, and three uh, line-wise, the first, the second, and the third lines. Yeah, so uh, I love the fact that he put Rantanen back with Kadri. That's something that uh, I forget who asked. Maybe it was Peter Baugh. He asked about uh, the chemistry between Rantanen mm -hmm. and Kadri and how Jared really does love the, the way that they play together. And it was something that uh, – and by the way, podcast listeners, Leaf Blower guy is back. He's back. What up, He's Leaf Blower? Here at Section 328, Leaf Blowing, God knows what. Um, but, yeah, so Rantanen, 
on the Kadri goal, he was paramount in that, and obviously that was on the power play, but on his goal as well, just an incredible shot. It was the type of goal for Rantanen to wake him up and, you know, break him out of this slump. So shout out to Miko for finally getting one. But we also saw on the third line something that you and I talked a lot about on the podcast last uh, last time we recorded on Monday, and it was Abe Kubel sitting, Newhook and Burakovsky playing on the wing with JT Comfort at center, and that line combines for two goals for JT Comfort, a hell of a lot of good plays from Berkey and from Newhook. Alex Newhook was shot out of a fucking cannon today. That kid was on his game. And if he's going to play like that every night, there's no way in hell that kid ever sits again. And Burakovsky even made a nice block there in the third period. Granted, it still led to a goal, but he was hobbled there against the boards. Um, that third line was everything you wanted and more for the Avalanche. Yeah, exactly. A lot of skill, which made a lot of sense to go up against a lot of the skill that Edmonton throws. So I guess uh, I wasn't so crazy after all, right? Uh, but yeah, an assist from each new hook and Burakovsky. You got to assume that both of those guys stick in the lineup, assuming uh, Burakovsky's not dealing with a lingering injury after blocking such a shot. No, I would say, uh, I mean, Berkey finished the game, but we've seen players finish games and then still mm -hmm. end up being hurt. But um he looked good, man. I mean, he came into the game with four points in eight games, which is hilarious given the fact that we're talking about him as if, like, he's just been terrible the entire playoffs. Um, and I, I obviously have played a part in that. I've, I've been very critical of his game, but um, he played well. That line just had a lot of chemistry. JT and Newhook had chemistry. JT and Berkey had chemistry. And Newhook and Berkey had chemistry. It just it, it worked so well. Then looking at some of the adjustments that the Oilers made coming into game one, they started Zach Hyman on that type top line with Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. I think that's a little bit due to my theory from yesterday's podcast, who's supposed to guard K.O. McCarr. Um, I think it was about halfway through the game, they switched back to their regular lines and basically flip-flopped Hyman for Evander Kane because it didn't seem to be working. Um, but mainly because K.O. McCarr was just having a K.O. McCarr-esque game. K.O. McCarr came out and said, anybody that said a single word about my offensive production against St. Louis Blues, uh, you're going to eat it tonight. Because in 40 minutes, or let's put it this way, in six games against the St. Louis Blues, K.O. McCarr had zero goals and three assists, three points. In 40 minutes against the Edmonton Oilers, he had one goal, three assists, four points, and then the NHL went and had to ruin my tweet and took away one of his assists. <laughs> so in 40 minutes against the Oilers, Kel McCarr matched the three points he had against the Blues, but also scoring a goal for the first time since the Nashville series. Just an incredible performance from him. And um, the type of game where when all the superstars were on, Kel McCarr was called upon to be at the top of his game. Like Leon Dreisaitl, like Connor McDavid, and like Nathan McKinnon, who scored in the first period, as did McCarr, everybody was working today. Uh, I mean, let's look at his goal, right? That was almost a no goal. I think at first, everybody's first impression was like, oh, wow, Val Nichushkin is 30 miles offsides. This yep. is definitely a no goal. But after looking at it, looks like the hockey IQ take o took over. Whether he did it on purpose or not, he made the right play there at the blue line. So, um, yeah, no question that it was a good goal, but just, a, I guess, a genius play, whether it was on purpose or not, out of Kale McCarr. It's hilarious because uh, during his post-game press conference, and obviously just to explain the goal, it was you know a delay offside before. So new or uh, sorry, McCarr pushed the puck into the offensive zone. It's a delay offside, but before he touches it, Nichushkin tags up. So it's just the same way as if somebody 
It's basically you know, a, a dump the a, puck in. A foot yeah. and a half dump. Exactly. Yeah. Dump the puck in behind the boards and then the ref goes off and then Nichushka tags up and he goes, You're good, and then McCarr goes in and gets the puck. So that's basically what happened, but in a game of inches. Sure. So uh I to be honest with you, given how many times we've seen a play like that happen in recent years, uh, I think that was just a terrible move by the Edmonton Oilers to challenge it. Because the goal ended up counting, the Avalanche got a power play, came out and scored on that power play, Nazem Kadri, to start the second period. So it just kind of deflated the Oilers on a call that they genuinely thought they got. So for Kale McCarr to do that, um, the funny part to me was in his post-game press conference, he kind of gave like both indications that it was lucky and it was smart. He said, you know, I was trying my hardest. I knew that they were trying to tag up and I was trying my hardest to give them as much time as possible. And then he goes on to talk about how it was lucky and it kind of sounded like he just, you know, didn't really know where anybody was. He just touched the puck and it turned out to be fine. So um, when you're as good as you, as Kale McCarr is at hockey, uh, he calls it luck. Everybody else says you have to make your own luck and by making your own luck, you got to be good at the game and have the right instincts. And that's what he had. Yeah, and, and with that ensuing power play, I mean, that was really the game-changing moment, right? Because, like you said, not only did Kale McCarr score, but then Nazem Kadri went on to score on that power play and give the Avs, I think, a two-goal lead at that point. And really, that's when they started to run away with it. It seemed like it was snowballing and getting away from Edmonton. Of course, Edmonton came back closer towards the end of the game there. But, um, yeah, that was really the, the game-defining moment, it seemed like. So 14 goals scored today in the matter of 11 minutes and 10 seconds. Nathan McKinnon, Zach Hyman, Kale McCart, Nazem Kadri, Ryan McLeod, Miko Rantanen, and JT Comfer. Colorado, Edmonton, Colorado, Colorado, Edmonton, Colorado, Colorado. The Avalanche outscored the Oilers 5-2 in an 11-minute stretch. In the Stanley Cup Western Conference Finals. Final. Like, just, just a lot of offense. And, uh, dude, it was just... You couldn't keep up with the game at some point, so it was just kind of crazy to see that all kind of unfold. But uh, after the Nazem Kadri power play goal, uh, that was when Ryan McLeod scored the goal that he did, the uh, the bad rebound given up by Darcy Kemper. And then Miko Rantanen comes in a couple minutes later and you know fires home his goal, and then JT Comfer on the shot that Devontae's blasted pretty much off of JT and into the net. So uh, good rebound by the Oilers to come back and score, but an even better rebound by the Avalanche to score two more goals to erase the Ryan McLeod goal and make it a multi-goal uh, game for the Avalanche once again. And then yesterday in our preview era, we talked about the stars coming to play, right? We knew both stars from both teams were going to have an impact, but wow, did they ever show up today sure right? Did. from both teams. So I guess let's get into it. We saw a goal from McKinnon, Kadri, Landeskog, and Rantanen. So those big guys came, the whole top line uh, came to Kadri play. And then McCart. you saw Connor McDavid with three points, Evander Kane with two, and Leon Dreisaitl with two of his own. And Ryan Nugent Hopkins, their second line center, their Nazem Kadri. He also had two points. The difference, ooh, I'm yawning over tired? here. Yeah, a bit. it's only 10, 15. We, yeah. we were here until one in it's, round two. It's like half, halfway or early in the third period in a, in a round one or round two game before the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning sweep of the Florida Panthers. Yeah, Eric said, wake me up when the finals start. Yeah, seriously, gosh. Uh, the one difference, what I was trying to say before that yawn interrupted us, <laughs> the one difference between what we just did in listing out the, you know, Two centers and two wingers for each team is on the Avalanche's side. We also listed out their number one defenseman in Kale McCart. On the Edmonton Oilers' side, their number one center in Darnell Nurse had a rough night. He just wasn't good from, from start to end. He was getting beat pretty much every time he had the puck. 
It was only a minus two and he had one assist, but there were so many plays, including the McKinnon goal, where he was just beat to the outside, beat cleanly, couldn't clear the puck in front of the net, or couldn't clear the crease in front of the net, couldn't find his man. Just a rough night for Darnell Nurse, and if that's what you're going to have for the Edmonton Oilers leading the defensive charge, going up against Nathan McKinnon, or sorry, Kel McCarr and uh, Devon Tace, who both had a, an incredible game and just a terrible game, tripping all over himself again. Something feels off with him. Uh, if that's what you're going to clap back with, then you're, you're going to have some issues. Yeah, do you remember this morning when we were talking to Josh Manson and he went a little bit into detail about his gap control, right, and how it's, it's a fine line between giving the player too much space in front of him and giving him, uh, you know, not enough space. I think that's exactly what Darnell Nurse struggled with tonight. He, he didn't know exactly how much space to give a guy like Nathan McKinnon. He gave Kale McCarr a little bit too much space as well. And, uh, yeah, it's that, it's that ticky-tack small detail gap control against a, a team with as much speed as the avalanche i mean darnell nurse definitely has to adjust you're not in calgary anymore yeah i mean that must have been a great question that josh manson was asked this morning who asked him that i, I don't know i don't i don't know i don't care um let's get to jt comfort <laughs> sorry sorry I, I i like to make that joke every <laughs> once in a while because we once got a one-star review on our podcast from a very salty listener that said i don't care what questions you ask the players in the post game media availability so every time i mention i asked so and so a question i think of that review and it makes me chuckle yeah i mean asking questions is fun why wouldn't we talk about it <laughs> especially when we have good ones um yeah jt comfort two goals tonight for the um, second straight game yep and we talked about the impact that he that his new line mates had on tonight's game right but obviously it just had a great impact on on a game of his own on the JT Comfort, that is. Uh, what I love about JT's game is, look, JT for years we've been saying is the prototypical third-line center. That's the kind of guy you want. He's got the offense. He's got the defense. You stick him with an Abe Kubel, he will be a more defensive dynamic. You stick him with guys like Newhook and Burakovsky, he will play with a more offensive dynamic, and we've seen that the last two games. Whatever the hell happened to JT Comfort in 2021 has been washed away. He, once again, is the prototype typical prototype of a third line center you want on a stanley cup winning team we often talk about third line centers when teams win cups jordan stall in pittsburgh uh the gentleman uh the the travis moen samuel paulson and rob niedermeyer line for the anaheim ducks in 2007 the avalanche have that guy in jt comfort and his game proves it i mean he's he's scoring goals at will and we're talking about the dynamic ability of Newhook and Burakovsky. JT was right smack dab in the middle of that. He was making plays. He was moving the puck. He was cycling. And he's the guy scoring the goals because like Landeskog, he parks his ass in front of the net, lets the puck hit off of him, clears the crease, doesn't, you know, wins those battles with the Darnell Nurses and the Duncan Keats. And that's why he has four goals in two games. Yeah, that was the point I was just about to make. I mean, the three of them were having the... Oilers in their own zone and they couldn't get the puck out over and over and over and those guys were keeping it in and then JT come for mucking it up and doing what he needs to do in front of the net and that's where he found his success tonight for sure. I just I, I love what he brings to that line and once again you know I know Ryan McLeod had a goal and I believe Derek Ryan or Josh Archibald one of those I think Josh Archibald also had a goal at some point hard to keep up jj there's just yeah, 14 goals. goals yeah i mean yeah so basically the third and the fourth line each scored a goal for the edmonton oilers today looks like all four of the lines got a goal for them and probably the same for the avalanche I, yeah actually that is true um so you're gonna need your bottom six to outscore their bottom six because the funny thing is and i tweeted this after the game uh let's pretend evander kane is the top line winger not zach hyman which he obviously was 
But the Avalanche's big three of Landeskog, McKinnon, Rantanen, which obviously Rantanen wasn't playing on that top line, but the Avalanche's big three of McKinnon, Landeskog, and Rantanen, three goals, three assists, six points. The Oilers' big three of McDavid, Dreisaitl, Kane, two goals, five assists, seven points. So despite everything, despite everything we're talking about, the Oilers' top guns, their main three, outscored and had more points than the Avalanche's top guns, their main three. But why did the Avalanche win? The depth and Kale McCarr. That's the difference. That's what will be the difference all series. We talked about it. It's the Avalanche versus the Oilers. It's Nathan McKinnon, Tyson Berry, Jay Woodcroft, Jared Bednar, and many people have said it's not McDavid versus McKinnon. It's the Avalanche versus the Oilers, and the Avalanche's depth and their defense provided more offensive support than the Oilers did tonight. Yeah, and then let's get to, I guess, a, a negative moment. Not the only negative moment since we already touched on Darcy Kemper and leaving the game, but Josh Manson finishes the game as a minus four. Not the prettiest game you've seen out of him. Uh, much like Darnell Nurse struggled, I think Josh Manson, uh, I guess, needs to elevate his game a little bit for the rest of the series. Yes, so Josh didn't have the greatest night, and I kind of want to cut him a little bit of slack because he's not playing with Jack Johnson compared to Sam Jordan. And this is not an attack at Jack Johnson. I, I'm so sick of it. I know Jack Johnson's, you know, had a terrible turnover against the blues and he's obviously not Sam Gerrard. I don't need people to tweet me 17 times saying number three sucks compared to 49 newsflash. Number 49 makes 5 million a year. Number three came in on a PTO and makes league min. We know this. However, the difference between Gerrard and Jack Johnson's game means Josh had to change the entire, like, complexion of the way he plays he was playing with a guy like sam that moves the puck that skates well where you just sit back and relax and be the defenseman covering for him to playing with jack johnson where like both of you kind of want to move the puck but also both of you are kind of also stay at home guys and we saw jack and eric playing shifts together in the defensive zone meaning bowen byron was playing some shifts with josh it was just a strange you know it's they're still trying to figure out this whole post sam gerard injury thing and I feel that Josh Manson is obviously the one suffering most, given the fact that it was his, his deep partner. Uh, with 100%. that being said, with that being said, have you ever heard of the name Brett Lebda? No. Former NHL defenseman. Okay. Brett Lebda is famous for being a defenseman that was on a game, that was on a team in a game that won 9-3, to three, and he was a minus 3. He is known for being the minus three guy on a game on a night where his team won nine to three. Now, not only is that already hard enough to do because that means you're on the ice for each of the three goals against and none of the nine goals for, but that means none of the three goals against were shorthanded or on the PK. They were literally all even strength goals. So that made me think, or Josh Minson made me think of that because the Avalanche at one point were up six to three and he was a minus three. So shout out, or sorry, seven to three, and he was a minus three. So of all the seven goals the Avalanche scored, he wasn't on the ice for a single one, even the power play. And for the three that they surrendered, all at even strength, at five on five, he was on the ice for every single one. So it was a rough start there for Josh. But you know what? In the end, like the Avalanche said, like McKinnon said, like Frankie said, Jared said this, you know, or even Kale, you don't want to win games eight to six. You don't want to surrender that many goals. Wayne Gretzky said on TNT, you got to play defense, man. Like, Nobody wants to play an 8-6 game every night, even though we all love it as fans and we love to watch this kind of hockey. The players, the coaches, makes them lose their mind. With that being said, you take the victory, you figure out what you need to fix, and you move on. As Jared has been saying all year, learning is so much easier to do when you're winning games while doing it. Well, I think the biggest thing you got to fix 
and you touched on it there. Yeah, Manson did have a tough game, but I think a big reason for that is his deep partner. I don't know if Jack Johnson uh, needs to be in the lineup for the next game. I think maybe you give Ryan Murray a chance and just see what kind of uh, yes, difference Yes, one hundred percent. But I think what I'm trying to get at is that Jack Johnson's game just is so far and away different than the type of game that Sam Gerrard plays where it makes Josh Manson have to entirely change the way he plays. Ryan Murray is a more of a puck... Is Ryan Murray as good as Sam Gerrard? No. Of course not. But Ryan Murray plays a similar style. He's a puck-moving mobile defenseman. So stick Josh Manson with another puck-moving mobile defenseman and that's what you'll get. But what this says to me is maybe it's time for Jared to put EJ and JJ together as your shutdown pair, kind of like he's used throughout the season. Even though, funny enough, McCarr and Taves are your true shutdown pair because they're just incredible in all ends of the ice. And then let Byram and Manson be your second your second pair. I don't remember who it was. Was it you that said that this is going to be Bowen Byram's coming out series? Somebody said that to me. Probably wasn't you. But looking at ice time, Kel McCarr, 27 minutes. Devon Taves, 24 minutes. Bowen Byram, 20 minutes. Eric Johnson, only 18. Josh Manson, only 14. Jack Johnson, only 12. So once again, the EJ and Bo pairing was suddenly your second pairing. And Jack and Manson was your third. Again, you got to feel for Josh Manson because he went from being the top four guy to playing with another defensive-minded defenseman and suddenly just kind of being in shambles. Yeah, and we know Bowen Byram continues to get better with each game, right? He was fun to watch today. He really was. I've enjoyed his playoff run so far. Lastly, last thing I want to get to, we talked on the Avalanche goalies. Now let's look at the Edmonton goalies. Mike Smith obviously getting pulled tonight. I don't think Mikko Koskinen exactly stepped in and and played a much better game, but are the Oilers suddenly finding themselves in a situation of who plays game two? Uh, No, just because this has happened before in five game one appearances with the Edmonton Oilers in the playoffs. Mike Smith has a 6-6-7 save percentage, and he's been pulled three times. And my favorite quote from today was him saying to the media following the game that uh, we hate game ones apparently and by we hate obviously they lost game one to the la kings they lost nine to six to the calgary flames but by we hate game ones i think he means i hate game ones because he just does not do well in those so i expect to bounce back from mike smith again the next game could be four to three could be four to two which would still be considered an old you know the grand scheme of things a four to two game still a lot of goals six goals seven goals in a four to three game still a lot of goals in the grand scheme of things but less than half if it's six of what we saw today. So um, I expect to bounce back from Smith. Does it mean I'm going to expect him to put up a shutout? No, but I do think he will start and play better than this. Yep, absolutely. So I don't know. I guess they. I think they have a decision to make because Mike Smith was kind of the Mike Smith that we uh, expected, right? I mean, we talked about yesterday how he gives up shaky goals. He's leaky. He does play well here and there, but, I mean, this was the Mike Smith that we – we thought we would see against a, a dangerous team like the Avalanche. Uh, yeah, it's it's not just the Mike Smith we saw. We thought we'd see against a dangerous Avalanche team. It's the Edmonton Oilers defense. Like Darnell Nurse is your. I just I have to go through it again. Like Darnell Nurse is your biggest name, and he was brutal. Cody Cece is your fucking top line defenseman. No disrespect to Cody Cece, but you are no Devontae. And then on the second pair. You have the corpse of Duncan Keith, who's been better in the playoffs, but, you know, we saw him get caught flat-footed on that play with Logan O'Connor to Andrew Cogliano. He didn't know how to cover it. He didn't know whether to play the shooter or the passer. Like, the game is starting to pass him by. Evan Bouchard is a young up-and-coming defenseman who had a pretty good regular season, but again 
putting a lot of uh, con putting a lot of uh, putting him in a position where he needs to play a lot better than he probably should be at this point. And then your third pair is Tyson Berry, who we know is more of a one-dimensional defenseman. We love him around here. And Brett Kulak, who's a guy that, you know, played only 18 regular season games for a reason. So that Oilers defense, compared to what the Blues had, is just going to get eaten alive by the Avalanche's offense. And I say is going to get as if they didn't just surrender eight goals. And I know the Oilers got six, and the Avalanche have a lot of bigger names and still surrender six goals. But that's just... It's not the recipe for success. And then your goalie is Mike Smith, not Vasilevsky. Man, the Avalanche might get through this entire playoffs without really playing their best game, right? Like you're saying, they're still making mistakes but winning and have a lot of areas to clean up. I think JT yeah. Confer said it 100 I mean, times. I mean, people keep talking about facing Duchesne, facing O'Reilly, facing Barry. The thing that I keep looking back to is defeating Connor Ingram, defeating Vili Husso, and then defeating one of Mike Smith or Miko Koskinen. Like, and then you might get to the Stanley Cup final and face one of the two best goalies on the planet. And it's like, oh shit, these guys can make saves. Yeah, Francis versus Vasilevsky is going to be a wild yeah, one. Yeah, eh? Shesterkin ain't no cakewalk <laughs> either. Um, well, there you have it. Nine down, seven to go. We're past halfway. So, uh, it's crazy. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? I'm going to close it out with a, a pretty cool statistic here. Throughout the first round of the playoffs, the Avalanche, or throughout the first two rounds of the playoffs, the Avalanche obviously had eight victories. Eight different guys scored a game-winning goal. Andrew Cogliano today became the first player on the team to get to two game-winning goals. If that's not winning by committee, <laughs> I don't know what is. Seven Avalanche players have a game-winning goal and two goals in the playoffs. Mr. Clutch, Andrew Cogliano, the trade deadline acquisition from the San Jose Sharks, formerly of the Edmonton Oilers and the Dallas Stars and the Anaheim Ducks, has got two game-winning goals for the Avalanche coming from the fourth line. Right on. That being said, I guess, you know, we'll see you on Thursday for game two. We're going to have more videos, more podcasts for you, more post-game podcasts, and boy, do we love these 6 o'clock starts. I'm so excited. Let's, let's keep the series moving. Thanks for hanging out with us for this quick post-game edition. Again, Avalanche win 8-6 to six at home. Take game one. We'll be back game two. And, uh, yeah, if you made it this far in the podcast, bless that pretty little heart of yours. If you don't hate us for telling you about which questions we ask, also bless your heart. Let's make hockey for everyone. We got you.